Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello there, everybody, and welcome to Tech Stuff. My name is Chris Paulette, and I am the tech editor here at HowStuffWorks.com. Sitting across from me, as usual, is senior writer Jonathan Strickland. Are you sure about that, Chris? Yes. We had a moment just a second ago that's going on The Real, where it was <laughs> unclear if Chris, if Chris knew who he was or not. I'd never know who I am. He, I he violated it. a very important trademark. I did. I'm sorry. It's okay. I think we should have just kept going with it. I think our listeners would have thought it was funny. And now they're all wondering what we're talking about. All right. So let's, uh, before we get started into today's episode, just leaving you guys hanging there, let's talk a little bit about, oh God, pumpkin chunkin. And orange, you glad we are. Yeah. Uh, right. So pumpkin chunkin, shooting pumpkins, great distances. Television shows, Science Channel. With giant machines. Yes. Enormous machines that propel pumpkins. All right, so the Science Channel showing two shows, The Road to Punkin Chunkin and Punkin Chunkin on Thanksgiving, which is November 26th, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Right, and the 9 p.m., of course, would be the second show, Punkin Chunkin. So you can watch people build machines, throwing pumpkins, great distances. Glad we got that out of the way. What's on the docket for today? 
Well, today we want to talk about the Office, Office of, of the Future. Future. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, I, I don't, I don't think just talking about it really is enough. Okay, smarty pants. We're, we're tech stuff, right? Yeah. So we do more than just talk about stuff. We we do things. So I suggest we just switch the way back machine to the way forward machine. Let me just hit hey, that what, switch. Here. Did you check the coolant levels? We'll be fine. We'll be fine. I'm sure, that's what they all be say. Be able to get there and get back, no problem. Let me just t- flip the switch first. All right, now everybody into the machine. Right. I'm, ta- I'm talking to the listeners too. Come on, guys. We're all going together. He says it's safe. Not going to do you any good if you stay behind while we go up there. All right. Okay, everyone, hands and arms inside the way forward machine until it stops. Okay? So let's just uh, set this forward a couple of decades. Uh, yeah, the spin spinning always makes me sick. Right. Um, for me, it's the, the weird sound effects. All right, hang on, hang on. All right, all right. I think we're there now. Um, let's... Uh, let me just open the door and make sure that there aren't any dinosaurs or anything. And we didn't accidentally. Gojira, Gojira. Ah! No, no. Here we go. Uh, okay. Office of the future. All right. All right. Everybody out. Okay. Let's take a quick look around and see what we see here. Um, wow. Giant robots. Yeah. Uh, no, I, it's kind of empty. <laughs> yeah. So it turns out, uh, the office of the future, uh, not a whole lot of, a lot of people in the office. No, huh. it doesn't look like it. I guess um, I guess that telecommuting thing finally paid off. Who would have thunk it? Well, apparently, actually, quite a few people back uh, back from our our home year of two thousand nine thought it. Uh, it turns out that a lot of executives believed at that time that we were moving toward a telecommuting kind of culture, uh, at least in the Western world, when it comes to offices. And part of the reason for that is that. Technology had reached a point where this is completely within the realm of possibility. There are a lot of people who telecommute back in 2009. Mm-hmm. But more so than that, other concerns start to pop up. Things like, why should a company pay the overhead necessary to maintain a physical office space if everyone could actually work out of his or her home or, you know, a coffee shop just down the street? Yeah, yeah. Like, why pay that electricity bill if you don't have to? I'm guessing if you go down to the factory down the road, there will still be people there, however. Yeah, they'll be the ones who are enslaved by the robots to fetch things like WD-40. Oh, good point. But in the office, it's going to be different. So there are a lot of different uh, technologies that are at play here that can allow office workers to work remotely. Uh, and I don't think we should just jump straight to the to the working from home section. There are... Stages in between. For example. Yes. Virtual PCs. Virtual PCs. Ah, yes. yes. Now, I wanted to talk a bit about a uh, company called Pano, Pano Logic. Yes. Now, Pano Logic, they sent me a device to look at, and I did, and it's a pretty interesting concept. The idea here is that let's say that you've got an office and you have a 100 employees. Okay. And let's say that each one of those employees needs access to a PC while at work. Okay. All right. Now, normally you would have to go and purchase at least 100 PCs, if not a few extra, just in case something breaks down. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And that means that you have to purchase licenses for all of the software that you're going to be using for those PCs, assuming that you're using some across the entire office. Yes. You also have to maintain those PCs. So when things break down, you have to be ready to fix them. 
Um, and that means you have a hundred different machines to fix. And unless you've bought them all at the same time, all from the same place, those PCs are going to have different parts. They're going to uh, be different models. There may be different um, hardware associated with each one. So if one breaks down, that that doesn't necessarily mean that you've got a drawer full of replacement parts to fix it immediately. You mm. may have to go and get something new. Sure. There are a lot of headaches associated with having lots of physical machines. Now, a yeah, virtual lots PC. Lots of moving parts. Lots exactly. of stuff to break. So what Pano's approach is, is their suggestion, their, their product actually, what it, what it does is there, it's two parts. There's a software component and a hardware component. Uh huh. The software component. It sounds familiar, you know. Yeah. Well, it will. It should. So you, you install the software component on a server. All right. And you, you compartmentalize that server into, uh, into virtual PCs. So each virtual PC acts like a real physical PC. It has its own, uh, independent, applications that run on their own without sapping anything else from any other virtual PC. But they're all running on one real machine. Yes, one real machine is supplying the processing power and storage capacity for dozens of virtual machines. Okay. All right, then the hardware component is just a simple little station that you plug a uh, – you can plug a keyboard into, you can plug a uh, um, a monitor into it, and you plug an Ethernet cord into it to act, to get the – data feed from the server. Okay. And you have a power cord. And that's about it. So there's no CPU, there's no disk drive, nothing like that. Everything is stored on the server. Everything you would access would be on the server. Uh you would have your own individual folders to save things to that are on that exist on your virtual PC, right. but the information itself exists on the physical server. Right. Now, why would a company want to do this? Oh, gee, I don't know. It seems like it would uh, save you a lot of trouble if you were trying to, uh, you know, find ways to repair things, as you pointed out before. Sure. Yeah, that's a it, big one. <clears throat> it also would save you a lot of money on licensing software. Yep, that's true, too. And, um, you know, there's there's always the opportunity to uh, save on electricity because yep, the machines are a lot it. smaller. That's another good one. And, uh, uh, it's just cheaper. Like, each individual device it would be cheaper than buying a... Uh, a normal, what you would normally consider a, I guess a mid powered machine. Yeah. Mid to high powered machine would be less expensive than that. Storage um, would be simpler. Storage is simpler. It would be easier to back up. Uh, if there's a problem, you have one machine to maintain. I mean, you can, you can do regular maintenance on a server a lot easier than you can on a hundred different physical machines. Um, also, like here, here's a, here's a real world example of where this could come in handy. Recently at How Stuff Works, we upgraded part of our software, uh, in, across the entire office, right? And that required that each of us turn over his or her computer to the IT guy for an hour or more at a time in order to get this software installed on our computers. Right. That's just procedure. It's company procedure. It's the way we work. So that meant that this one IT guy had to go through and do the same process over and over on all the different PCs in the office. Now, if you had the virtual PC model, you make that change once on the server, and then you then upgrade all the virtual PCs at one time. Right. It's much faster than having to take it piecemeal. So what happens if that one machine goes down? Then you've got a problem. Yeah. If your one machine goes our, down, then yeah, are... all of your access goes down. But I mean, that, that happens already. If you are working on a, uh, on a system where, um, 
things like you have an internet server and the internet server goes down and mm-hmm. you're no longer able to access the internet. I mean, that's happened at many places. Yeah. I can think of one very close to us right now. Yeah. Like the room we're in. Yeah. So the, but the, yeah, this, this can happen to any office at any time. Now, granted, it does sound scary because it's the idea of, okay, well, now you've got one point of failure and, um, you know, in the, in the instance where you have lots of machines, one machine might fail, but unless it's a critical machine for a specific project, that's maybe not the worst thing in the world that could happen. Whereas if right. that happened on a centralized point, but the idea being that if you can continue to do maintenance and, and monitor this one machine, I mean, if that's what, where your IT department's focus is, uh, is directed, there's a much better chance of keeping that machine running than a whole bunch of different machines in various states of, of use. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a risk versus reward consideration you have to take into account before you move to something like a virtual PC solution. But, uh, on the same, by the same token, I mean, you're already running some of those risks in most offices now anyway. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's just that you're now putting more of a burden on that one machine as opposed to, you know, a whole bunch of individual ones. Right. But like, uh, I've worked in offices where you had to save everything to a network drive. You couldn't, you weren't supposed to save anything to your local drive at all. Right. And in that case, if that network drive went down, you could not access any of your work. Yep. And I mean, that's happened before. So those sort of things, those, those things are going to happen. But if you factor that in before you make your decision, it's not so scary. Right. If you just take into, you know, that, all right, sometimes stuff's going to go wrong and you're going to have to handle it. But this is kind of a, it's also kind of a step toward another kind of computing we've talked about before, which is cloud computing. Yep. Yep. Now cloud computing, you're no longer even providing the server. Yep. That's true. Um, that information is all stored somewhere else on a company's servers. Like, for example, if you've ever used Google Docs or um, <clears throat> the upcoming uh, Microsoft Office Live, mm-hmm. um, basically the applications themselves and the files that you create in those applications are all stored on the company's uh, on that company's servers. So right. you know, Google's massive uh, data warehouses filled filled to the you know top with computers, all your files are in there somewhere. Actually, probably in many many places. Since yeah. They do many many backups. Right. Um, yeah. But yeah, that's all. That's, that's all done. That's all yeah, I mean that's all done with uh, cloud computing. So yeah, and it's out there somewhere. The interesting thing here is that you know again you have to ask yourself the question why would any company move to this, and it comes down to cost. Mm-hmm. I mean by moving your your processing and storage loads off site. Uh, as long as the cost of the service is lower than the cost it would take you to purchase and maintain your own equipment, that's going to seem like a very attractive alternative mm-hmm. for companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are some big hurdles to get past. The biggest one, I think, is the whole perception of how reliable are cloud computing services. Yeah, and that's taken some beatings lately, too. Y- yeah, in the in bet well lately being back in 2009 oh. in the future now oh yes that's, so that's your... years ago back in 2009 well, in our personal timeline right right yeah this is hard got to think in four dimensions i usually manage one and a half <laughs> but the um yeah so back in 2009 you know back when we all were just a few minutes ago the uh the the biggest problems were things like 
Google Gmail going down or yep. Google Apps going down or T-Mobile losing all the Sidekick data. Except T-Mobile didn't do that. Except it wasn't T-Mobile. Right. They're just the ones getting blamed. Yeah, T-Mobile for it. gets T-Mobile gets the worst of that deal because not only were they not responsible for the uh, the service outage, and we're talking about the Sidekick service outage, the danger servers that went down. That's right. Not only was T-Mobile not responsible for that, but they also get the blame for it because the T-Mobile name is on that Sidekick device. Yes. And uh, so everybody is angry at T-Mobile, even though Microsoft is the one that owns the danger servers. Exactly. At any rate, well, that's great <laughs> when you can take the blame for someone else's problem. Yeah, you gotta, man, you gotta love being Microsoft in that situation. Except the savvy people, of course, already know the difference. It's just whether the general public is aware of it. Right. But that's that's the problem, right? There's this perception that if you entrust your data to some other service and something goes wrong, uh, then you're you're totally up the creek. And I think the biggest obstacle for most people is a sense of control. Mm -hmm. Because these problems do pop up in offices right now under just local, you know, services. Mm -hmm. So your local servers at your office, the ones that are actually physically in your building, possibly, yeah. could go down and it affects your entire office. Um, but you that feels different than if it were in someone else's control, like in Google's control. Right. Because at least then you can be the one standing in the room looking at all these machines that aren't blinking lights like they're supposed to and scream profanity if you wish. Whereas if it's in Google's building, you have no idea if anyone is screaming profanity or even in the general vicinity of the computers that aren't working. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's a safe bet. <laughs> I don't know about the screaming profanity part. I'm not really aware of that in Google's culture. But the point being that without those those machines being on your physical premises, you, you lose that sense of control and it's harder to entrust your, your data and your processing power to another party. Right. But this is the future. We've gotten past that because obviously companies have managed to create, uh, services that are both secure and reliable or at least secure enough and reliable enough and cheap enough for companies to say, you know what, we're going to go with this because it's going to save us more money in the long run. Right. So what else has made the office of the future become a non-localized, non-geographic, you know, uh, 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 entity? I mean, now we no longer have these massive offices filled with people screaming and yelling at each other and typewriters clacking. And, oh, wait, I'm think I took that trip to the 1920s the other day. Yeah, I'm thinking think of the wrong what, era. Yeah, you know, I think those big screens over there might have something to do with it. Oh yeah, well that that would have something to do with it because the, you know, of course that technology is getting cheaper and cheaper every year. Yes, or at least in 2009. Yes, back in 2009. By now, it's you know pretty much commonplace. It's probably pennies, you know. Well, I think they, they got rid pennies. of the pennies back in yeah, yeah 2012. So yeah, you know, during that whole Mayan thing. Right. That was crazy. Yeah. Anyway, I love that. Yeah, anyway, um, yeah. Actually, uh, the telepresence idea, Cisco, um, you know, was big into that back in 2009 about uh, the idea that you can immerse yourself in um, being in a meeting in a virtual situation uh, with the the right kind of camera and and having a large enough screen, you feel like you're actually right in front of the person and talking to them. 
um, which was a, a pretty neat way of making it possible to, uh, to communicate with other people because that was the big thing about working in person when you, uh, had to be in an office building like this giant empty one that we're in now. Uh, you know, well, what are you going to do? You don't get any FaceTime with anybody. You don't get the opportunity to make your point in person. Well, no, you don't need to because you have, you know, this, uh, this conferencing technology that allows you to do that. And, you know, it's all free. With this, these ad-supported uh, voiceover internet protocol services. Right, and there's tons of them now. And not only that, but I think culturally the shift started where people began to place less and less importance on that in-person meeting. Um, I mean, it, part of it was technology was allowing for alternatives, and part of it's just this interesting shift where people are becoming more comfortable with virtual spaces, uh-huh. with communicating over various forms of internet or electronic uh, uh, methods. So let's talk about also collaboration. Okay. Collaboration is much easier in the future than it was uh, you know, in 2009 and, and far easier than back in when I started working in an office environment. Oh, you mean uh, like when Google Wave revolutionized office communication? Sure. Because let's, let's – Think back to the early days of my career because this way I can, I can kind of step through how collaboration going, has changed. Are we going back to the 1920s? No, 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 again? no. We're not, we're not going to get in the machine. I'm just going to tell you about it. So the machine's just going to stay right there. We're just going to stay in this building. Okay. No one wander off. I see some of you going toward the windows. Just be careful. Okay. All right. So anyway, the, uh, back when I started work, it was really hard to collaborate with other people because in order to, do any sort of collaboration. I had to create a document on my machine. I then had to email it or put it up on a server for someone else. They would pull a copy of that document onto their machine, make changes. Then they'd have to save that copy back either to a centralized server or email it to me. And now you've got multiple copies of the same document kind of floating around. It just made it really messy and difficult to keep track. Skip ahead, you got, you start getting things like Google Docs, where now you've got a centralized document, uh, creation source. Like you can go to Google Docs, create a document, and you can invite other people to come into that document and make edits, and you can create, uh, a, a unified effort in creating this document without making extra copies. Right. Move on to Google Wave, which then incorporates not just collaboration, but real-time collaboration, where you can actually see people making changes in real time, and you can comment on them. You can have a discussion at that moment within the document itself, if you wanted to, and discuss what should and should not go in there. Yeah. It was so, really buggy at first, though. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, it was a little buggy. You know, it didn't necessarily uh, keep up with all your waves, and, and you didn't have that many applications, but now – Yes. Now there's practically everything available on Google Wave. You can do video conferencing. You can create documents. You can create presentations. You can do pretty much all the basic Microsoft kind of office things that a lot of offices did earlier. And what's really interesting is that, of course, Google Wave is not the only solution. I think it it, it really led a revolution in mm-hmm. how we communicate o- online. So really the there are tons of different applications, not just Google's. I mean, Google's, of course, is the oldest one, so that's the one we talk about. But obviously, other companies have come out with their own versions of this kind of software. Yeah, yeah. I just uh, just wasn't anticipating the whole, you know, Twitter buying Google thing. Yeah, that really surprised me too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, 
Also, you know, um, well, we won't get into it. At any rate, so somebody's going to, you know, look, listen to this, hear that much of it and freak out. Well, clearly they didn't get in the machine with us at the beginning. No, they didn't. If they did, they'd see what we're talking about. What? So here, here's something, some other things to consider about the office Office of of the the future. future. Wow, it does that here too. Yeah, it's, you know, it's because it's a big empty building, right? Oh, yeah, good point. Okay, so. If we do move to more telecommuting, as this version of the future has shown us, now granted, we got to remember, futures, they branch off. We may just be in one possible future. Yeah. We didn't go to the one where the robots rule us. So, I mean, there are a lot of different choices are out there. Are you sure? Well, I, I haven't looked out the window, to tell you the truth. So, but assuming that uh, that this does hold true and that we no longer have the need to create a geographic location for our office. Like, let's say a lot of offices now, they allow their employees to log in from wherever they are to, um, to contribute to the company. Mm-hmm. What happens to all the office buildings? Well, you know, they, they're really nice planters. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things. I mean, it's one of those questions that you think, why are you even asking? And then you think, well, no, this is a legitimate question. If what are all the people going to do? With those, all that space. Yeah, you've got no you've got these it. massive buildings. Like we're we're in a pretty tall building in Atlanta. Yeah, and can you imagine if if more offices move to a telecommuting uh, atmosphere back let's, in two thousand nine? Back in two thousand nine. Yeah, let's assume that offices do find that telecommuting does work. That employees are just as productive if right. they work remotely as they would be if they worked in the office. They're going to save more money by having a, a virtual space as opposed to a physical space. Mm-hmm. All of those real estate owners who own these buildings are going to be in trouble. I mean, and then you follow the next step. What happens to cities if suddenly you have all these abandoned buildings in the middle? It could turn into another city that I won't mention on this podcast. Don't I'm not going to. I'm not going to. At any rate, you end up with a lot of empty buildings. That's actually a big trouble problem. And another legitimate concern that people have about the the possibility of telecommuting mm-hmm. is the impact it would have on IT departments. Yeah, that that does seem like it would be a problem. Well, it depends on what 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 is used to uh deliver computing services now too. Well, I mean, if it's centralized as you suggested earlier with virtual machines, uh then there's probably very little that's going to need to be done in terms of regular maintenance. Right. At the, at the person's house. Now, of course, you know, if something is an actual physical break, you know, somebody needs to replace a, a monitor, for example. Right. But I think uh, in you know, that, have to get I in think in these cases, like, like, let's assume, let's, let's take the test case of an office of the future. Yes. And let's say, okay, let's say that they have, uh, given all employees a very thin client to work with as their, their work machine. Okay. So by thin client, I mean that it does not have a very powerful processor. It doesn't have very much storage space, if anything. Mm-hmm. It pretty much has a screen and a keyboard, an interface with which you can use to – or which you can use to access the services that you need to do your job. Assuming someone successfully resurrects that idea, yes. Uh, netbooks, dude. They're already back there in 2009. Right. Okay, that idea was already alive before we got into the machine. So – you have a thin client that can access these these things, or maybe even a company allows you to use your own machine. I think that would be a little more problematic because then you're getting into like intellectual property issues. Yeah, 
it's not even people's preferences. It's really more of a question of well, I, mean, I don't want you to have you have office property on your personal machine. Yeah, yeah. I well that, and I was thinking more along the lines of well, you bought this thing over here, and he bought that thing over there, and she bought that thing over there, and none of them are compatible with one another. Right. So I think the thin client is like probably the most the most uh, logical approach because it's going to be cheap and it's going to be easy to replace if it breaks. And then the same office of the future, which has j- given out all these, these thin clients to employees, some netbooks or whatever they, whatever format they take. Mm-hmm. Um, and then if one breaks, they have a contract with an independent IT department that can support this stuff. And they do it on a case by case basis, which mm-hmm. is cheaper than supporting an IT department all on your own until uh, you get to a certain scale. I assume if you got to an office that was truly enormous, then you would want your own IT department. But otherwise, I don't think you would need to. You would just contract out to a, to an independent company. And because all of your, your source, uh, your, your storage and your, uh, processing power, if you're gone to cloud computing, because all of that is now on someone else's, uh, property, mm-hmm. they're the ones who are providing IT support. They're the ones who have the IT department. You don't have to support that anymore, which sounds great to the companies. It's scary as heck to the IT professionals out there. Oh, sure. Because I'd imagine so. Yeah. You know, think about the, the idea being that, well, now there's, there's not as big a need for as many IT professionals. Mm-hmm. You just need the number to look, overlook, you know, oversee the servers, not necessarily all the machines inside a big office. So that can mean that IT professionals could see jobs get growing more and more scarce and uh, be a much more competitive field. And, um, and that's not necessarily a good thing. I mean, there are people who have developed, put in years and years of work in IT fields and have a ton of expertise who may have problems finding a job in the future because there just aren't as many out there to be had. Mm-hmm. Even mm-hmm. though we've moved to a much higher tech world, it's kind of a weird paradox. It is kind of strange when you think about it. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I really like about the Office, Office of the of Future. future. Is the uh, whole uh, how it adjusts to you being there sort of thing. Oh, gotcha. You know, because so, that, that whole RFID thing right. know, was the uh, the first generation of how, you know, it could identify who you are. And, of course, as soon as you walk into the room, it could set the temperature to the right level and the lighting to the uh, to the right ambiance. Sure. Um, you know, personally, I, I enjoy how we do our podcast in the candlelit room. Right. Uh, it's very, very pleasant, very, very calming. Yes. But, um, you know, not everybody functions well in that kind of an environment. No, no. Um, well, and not only that, but then you have things like augmented reality layers that you can put on top of your various interfaces. So mm-hmm. let's say you do have a teleconferencing meeting with someone. Not only do you see that person's uh, image on your computer, you know, mm-hmm. not only do you see live video, but you might see real time stats popping up, things like, the person who's, you know, that they're from a different company. You start seeing stock information popping up. You start seeing links to news stories. Yep. This could be both good and bad. Yeah. Because, you know, you don't necessarily want the person you're meeting with to be reading the latest news about you and your company while you're trying to talk with them. <laughs> but it's something that we have to deal with in the future. Yeah. So, uh, I really want to strike a deal with you. What, um, yeah, you know what? Now that you mention it, uh, thank you very much for the right. offer. We'll be talking to you later. I gotta go. <laughs> yeah. What, what happened? <laughs> exactly. 
So, um, what did you do? So the office <laughs> of the future is, is definitely a different place than, uh, back in 2009. I mean, even, uh, back in our office, we do occasionally telework back in 2009, but it, it's, it's not, it's more the exception than the rule. Yeah. You know, we still come into the office most of the time and, you know, we, we, Work there in howstuffworks.com. And as you imagine, uh, just imagine, you know, it's a big laboratory filled with bub- bubbling beakers and uh, machines that go ping, <laughs> just like in your imagination. It's exactly like that. It's not like a giant room filled with cubicles with people typing away quietly, everyone wearing headphones. It's not like that at all. No, not in the least. Okay, no, that, that. that's because we're sort of borderline future. Uh, sadly, no, it really is more like a bunch of people sitting in a big room oh, with the headphones on. You don't um, make me want to go back to the past again. Well, mostly I'm saying it so that people don't want to show up and tour our office. Because oh, yeah. <laughs> there's really not much to see. I mean, tons of intelligent people working, which is cool, but and I'm sure me. you can find that in other places. Yeah. So, um, are we, uh, are we all done here in the future? I'm talking about the, the fact that in the future there's really no such thing as a physical office anymore. Yeah. Well then, so. uh, all right, everyone, pile back in here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna flip the switch back to uh, the way back machine. Hang on. All right, everyone, get in. Come on, no stragglers. Don't want to leave anyone. Come in the on, future. come on. All right, let's go. All right, let's push the button, Chris. I, I can't reach it from here. All right, I got it. All right. All right, back in good old 2000. Oh, where's Billy? <laughs> That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> probably probably doesn't matter. And seriously, right. we have to get out of there because somebody is really inconsiderate. Okay, everyone out. Come on, it's kind of stuffy in here now. All right. Wow. Yeah. That that's a first for tech stuff right there, my friends. Uh, time travel, I mean, not the not the flatulence joke. Um, so There's plenty of those. I hope you guys uh, learned something about the office of the future. It really is kind of an interesting thing to think about. Uh, you know, it, it definitely has some pretty wide-ranging consequences. Now, granted, if Kurzweil's correct, we won't have to deal with that for very long because three days after the Office of the Future arrives, the robots will take over. Yep, pretty much. So, you know, enjoy those three days of telecommuting and then um, say hello to your Android overlords. Hello. So, um, are you ready to move on to a little listener mail? I am indeed. So let's go to listener mail. This comes from Kyle, who is a help desk support specialist. Kyle, I hope we didn't scare you with the office of the future. He says, I've spent this morning catching up on some tech stuff podcasts and just listened to the Apple tablet cast. You guys made a joke about Steve Jobs not returning your calls, which surprised me because as it turns out, Steve Jobs actually does return all sorts of calls from the general public. A friend of mine has several Apple devices in his house, including an iPod touch he'd had a horrible time with. It had spent, it had been sent in for repairs multiple times and always come back still broken. So he wrote a letter to Jobs and copied all 27 members of Apple's board of directors. Directors. About two weeks later, his cell phone rings. Steve Jobs actually called him directly to apologize for all the trouble he'd had and told him they would send him a new iPod Touch second generation. His broken one was a first generation and one of the new iPod Nanos with the camera. They only spoke for a couple of minutes, but still, how often does someone get a call from the CEO of a Fortune 500 company? Like I said, I know you were just making a joke, but maybe you should try giving him a call. He might even tell you about their secret plans to take over the world with their new tablet. Kyle. Um, 
Well, first of all, Kyle, thanks for writing. That's a really cool story that you told. Uh, I think that's really interesting. And I guess that might be why Forbes called him the, uh, the CEO of the, uh, was it the decade? I think so. Wow. So good on you, Mr. Jobs. I'm still uh, a little too intimidated to actually call him. Um, I think he'd fire me. Yeah. I don't even work for him. I think he would I hire, think me, fire me, fire me, and then, yeah, go out, go about his business. I'm just saying. Um, no, I, I, I greatly respect what he's done. I fear him. Not in the same way I fear Balmer. No. I, Balmer makes me physically afraid. Jobs, it's more of a psychological thing. And I, I think that's probably warranted. At any rate, if any of you out there have any comments you want to make, suggestions, questions, criticisms, that sort of thing, you can write us. Our email address is techstuff at howstuffworks.com. And remember, you can watch us live every Tuesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern. That's over at the uh, ho- the HowStuffWorks.com blogs. Just go to HowStuffWorks.com, look on the right side, you'll see the links to the blogs. You can check it out there and see Tech Stuff Live and see what Chris and I look like when we're making puns in person. And uh, don't forget to watch for some pumpkin chunkin'. That's right. Keep November those pumpkin chunkin' eyes open. And uh, until next time, we'll talk to you guys again really soon. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. And be sure to check out the new Tech Stuff blog, now on the HowStuffWorks homepage. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? It's brand new, season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. John Stewart is back in the host chair at The Daily Show, which means he's also back in our ears on The Daily Show Ears Edition podcast. Join late-night legend John Stewart and the best news team for today's biggest headlines, exclusive extended interviews, and more. Now this is a second term we can all get behind. Listen to The Daily Show, Ears Edition on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Discover a new educational and interactive podcast, Stories for Kids by Lingo Kids. Our episodes are packed with fun activities. Right, Elliot? Oh, yes! We went shape hunting around the block, and we found spheres and cubes on the street. That was great fun. Join Stories for Kids, the Lingo Kids podcast, inspiring you to learn while having fun. Listen to Stories for Kids on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.